Computer, initialize Holosuite. Welcome to Beyond Farpoint, a podcast in which we chat about everything Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your host Baz Greenland and today my guest is Gemma, fellow Star Trek fan and professional counsellor, hypnotherapist and play therapist. And Gemma also happens to be my wife. Hello Gem. Hi. Yeah. Looking forward to chatting about Star Trek today. The idea of today's podcast is going to be slightly different from, from the other ones that I've done with Jeff in the past. So we're going to be looking at mental health in Star Trek, particularly The Next Generation. Yeah, no, really looking forward to talking about particularly this topic, of course. This is my area of expertise somewhat, but also mixed in with, you know, talking about a show that I really enjoy and that we really enjoy together most of the time. Absolutely, yeah. So, Jeb, you're not quite the uber Star Trek geek that I am. You never had the Star Trek fact files or the Micro Machine Star Trek (laughs) figures like I did. (laughs) What? I I used to have... Uh, I remember I used to have some web micro machines. They yeah. released Star Trek ships, and I had a, I had several of them. I had, I had the Enterprise, I had the Romulan Warbird, I had the Klingon Bird of Prey. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that was my level. You watched Star Trek. I collected some figures and some models, yeah. and I got the VHS tapes, yeah. and I collected Star Trek fact files. So difference, but but we both love Star Trek, so that's yeah. that's good. Okay. I'd say micro machines were a boys thing generally, so I didn't have those. However, those do sound really cool. So I do kind yeah. of wish that I'd had an Enterprise Micro Machine. That would have been quite fun. Maybe we'll put it on the mantelpiece, yeah? yeah. Okay. On, on display. Okay. So then, uh, before we get actually into the topic itself then, what is your favourite Star Trek show? Oh, well, I am a TNG fan. I have to say that I think TNG is quintessential Star Trek. And I have a thing which... Baz knows we've, we've had discussions before about this. Many times, yeah. That I have a thing about the level of trekking that means it's proper Star Trek. And I think that TNG do the exact correct level of trekking. Whereas Voyager... Now, Voyager, they over-trek. They go too far <laughs> because they go so far that a lot of the storylines end up not making sense because they're still stuck in the Delta Quadrant and they're meeting up with the same aliens and there's things like, hang on, shouldn't they be past this bit yet? And they, it, it doesn't make sense storyline-wise. DS9, DS9, they under-trek. There is no trekking. <laughs> and Baz always has this thing about, oh, but what They go the to the Gamma, gamma quadrant. quadrant. Yes, the Gamma No, no. It is a station. It stays still. They under-trek. Oh. So TNG is, is my Star Trek for that reason. Well, Star Trek The Next Generation is great Star Trek, so that's, <laughs> I'll, I'll allow that. That's actually fine. <laughs> and we're a Star Trek Next Generation podcast, so it's even better. Um, what's your favourite Star Trek character? Oh, it's got to be Data got to be Data. Data is a character that by definition is exploring how to be human, what it is to try and be human and from the psychological perspective that I see a lot of things from fascinating, exciting, ridiculous sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) What Star Trek sometimes is ridiculous. Absolutely. (laughs) Always, always great to watch. Absolutely. And favourite episode? 
Uh, favourite episode is, as Baz and I have discussed, I'm not enough of a fan to be able to say, oh, this episode title where this happens, so I just have to go the one where. And it's the one where Riker doesn't know if he's in the alien asylum or actually on the Star Trek. For, for probably obvious reasons. Yes. I'm, yeah, frame of mind for those Star Trek nerds out there. But yeah, that's a great, it's one of my favourite Next Gen episodes. So yeah, maybe we'll get you back on later, you, me and Jeff, maybe to talk about mm-hmm. that and uh, delve deep into the psychological analysis of, of that <laughs> episode. That would be quite fun. Okay, so this episode, they I say, is going to be slightly different. What we're going to do is we're going to be exploring mental health as portrayed in The Next Generation. And we'll look briefly at the wider Star Trek franchise. And then we're going to delve specifically into next-gen episodes. You know, we're both the lens of Star Trek fans, as we both are. And also, Jeb, as a therapist, you're going to give your own psychological insight into what's happening on screen. Okay. So the stuff that we're going to be talking about is going to be aspects of really what you described as more kind of inverted commas, everyday mental health struggles, rather than what would might be seen as the higher level psychiatric mental illness and there is kind of a difference there the reason for that being that in the star trek universe roddenberry's view was that mental health issues had been very much inverted commas cured and and really that the mechanism of that was meant to be the idea that if you fixed all the kind of social ills on planet earth in particular so therefore humans, but also I think the Federation more generally, then you've also kind of eradicated the more severe forms of mental illness. So, it, you know, we're not looking at things like uh, psychosis and, and, and that level of things. It's more going to be looking at anxiety, looking at things around loss and grief, which happened a lot in all Star Treks, as well as kind of the, the age-old thing that you would expect to happen in any kind of dramatic programme, which is trauma. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I think Gem and I, we were both at Destination Star Trek a couple of years ago. Um, we actually got to interview Armin Shimmerman and Walter Kanyan, which was a really good, you know, great experience. Mm. And when we were there, we actually, we, uh, Marina Sirtis was on stage talking about this idea that Gene Roddenberry had of that kind of mental illness being cured. The idea of Starfleet, these are kind of humans at their very best or... Federation are very best. These are the best of the best. You know, they don't. People have kind of physical or mental struggles that actually de- 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 the word debilitate them in their everyday. That's the one in their life. You know, <laughs> they're not going to be on on Starfleet on on a crew of a starship. So that's probably why again you wouldn't really see that. Yeah, I suppose um, it's kind of a cause and effect thing. Though, yeah, definitely. I guess the one the common one there is you know you talked about stress. It's it's not post traumatic stress disorder anymore. It's PTSS is that right? Yeah, syndrome. No. Stress syndrome. Yeah. So I guess I guess every every kind of that's the kind of the common one, and we're not going to make light of this. You know, this is, this is about mental health, that's, and particularly you know these days it's a very serious subject. But we could you could say the amount these characters go through between the alien abductions and the, the transport of accidents and the possessions and all that, every character probably will go through at some point or the main, or go through PTSS probably at least once or twice maybe in in the show. They'd go through traumatic experiences yeah. that have the potential right, okay. to give them PTSS. That's not to say that they would, by definition, all therefore have that level of it. But yeah, there's certainly, yeah. Okay. depending on what else was going on in their, their psychology, things that were traumatic enough to leave them 
down that road. And, you know, there, there is therefore this kind of argument that every ship really should have a counsellor, potentially a trauma specialist, someone who can do like EMDR work, eye movement desensitization reprogramming is the technical term for it, which is a, a trauma specialist treatment. And yeah, just the idea that they only have, you know, one or two counsellors scattered in there that don't really do very much and and actually the reality of both human beings and whatever aliens that have the same kind of psychology really could do with having a lot more than that. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> it is absolutely needed. Yeah, you say you need a counsellor but there's probably a lot more that goes with that to actually survive the rigours of space that you see in the kind of Star Trek shows. I mean, let's talk a little bit, before we go into Nexion itself, I mean, Star Trek itself has, has dealt with kind of the stress and trauma a lot. I mean, one of the things I really liked very recently was the character with Detmer in Discovery. You know, maybe not that enough, but what I really liked with Detmer was that the, the idea that this trauma that she basically was piloting the ship that crashed land in the future. And probably mild spoilers here if maybe you haven't seen season three of Discovery, but... There was a kind of a running theme throughout certainly the first half of that season where you saw her struggle with the trauma of what happened, you know, it broke down her relationships with her colleagues and friends. And oh, that was a really interesting way of exploring that, which you don't really do much in Star Trek. It's very much one episode and done. Mm. Yeah, no, it was kind of an interesting one because it kind of started with watching her almost, you know, phase out mentally if you like um, you know have moments where she just got lost in her own mind and had to be kind of called back to attention and duty and you know, you know are you there what's going on and of course with her her job she had couldn't risk the, those moments those split seconds of, of not being in in full awareness mm. and I remember watching it and going it's are they actually doing this are they you know what, what's going on what is that where she's not really paying attention and being so unused to the idea of them really going into something along those lines, even from my perspective, you know, as watching as the casual observer, but also the the professional, going, what what's going on? What why is she not paying attention? Oh oh, they're actually going into the effects of this and and what's happening to her that's very, very good and yeah. quite awesome. But it did take me a moment to realise what they were actually doing. Well, that's it. I, I think generally Star Trek hasn't really had a good track record of dealing with trauma. It tends to be one episode and done. I mean, the example is Bernard Torres in Voyager. <laughs> <laughs> you were joking about this. Banana pancakes cure everything. Uh, there's, yes. there's there's an episode which is a several. It's, it's about a se- half a season after they make contact with the Alpha Quadrant and they learn the Marquee, which is where Torres came from, have all been killed off by a Dominion in, in DS9. And you suddenly find that she's kind of got suicidal tendencies and she's trying to harm herself on a holodeck and she has all this trauma, which is an interesting way of dealing with it, you know, picking up that things aren't just one and done, but then they kind of cure it. She has banana pancakes, which her mum used to make, and suddenly everything is cured. And it kind of just... It was one of those ones that it just felt so fake and it's like oh we're gonna tackle this but we're not gonna tackle it enough and I think that's why Deborah stood out because they actually went there and they actually continued that story it wasn't 
oh, I, I'm feeling the trauma of crashing the ship and then I'm okay again. Absolutely. It actually had some resonance, yeah. The, the banana pancakes thing was just the most <laughs> gut-wrenchingly frustrating. I literally wanted to throw something at the screen. Are you yeah. flipping kidding me? Yes. Okay, let's go a little bit into that and recognise that, yeah, she's got some serious mental health issues going on here. And what's going to fix it? Ah, oh, yes, one little thing associated with one nice memory and she's all done and fine. And then it's never spoken about again in another episode ever. So we're led to believe that, yes, let's have some banana pancakes. And that fixes me entirely. Yes. Can you hear my rage, people? Can you hear my rage? <laughs> there's absolute rage, yes. We've had many debate and there was a lot of rage. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess it's one of those things as well is... You know, there were, there are some. There was, there was, I mean, DS9 had a bit of that, particularly when the war stuff. I know DS9 is, you know, you, you're not as fond of it because of the, how dark it went from the war stuff. There was um, yeah. Nog who had, poor Nog has his leg blown off in season seven, and they actually have an episode that follows on for that, which shows him doing that trauma. And I think that was really, that was one of the first things I thought was started really you know, trying to do something with the trauma what happened maybe family with Picard and we're going to be talking about family coming up as well but because one of the interesting things before we go next about Nog was that there was a recurring theme in Star Trek sometimes where I don't think counsellors and I'm you as a, ca- a counsellor here <laughs> honestly use effectively in that episode you had Vic Vontaine to supporting Nog through his trauma quite often you use Guinan rather than Troy mm. and it kind of feels like Star Trek never really you know, they had counsellor characters in Deanna Troy and Ezu Dax in season seven of DS9, but they were never really used that effectively. Not hugely, no. Yeah. Having said that, we're going to go into some of the episodes where Troy does actually have a decent go at doing some counselling, yeah. but not always effectively, not always properly. But generally speaking, throughout the whole of the Star Trek universe, absolutely not. You know, as I said, there, there should have been uh, a trauma specialist on every ship. There should have been several on a space station. Yes. Um, <laughs> and even when they acknowledge, yeah, let's have this character because maybe there's a little bit of need there, you never actually see it happen certainly not with Ezra as far as I'm aware no. you've never seen her do her job at all there was one bit of Garak very uh, first episode after she comes to the station she helps Garak through his extreme claustrophobia okay and there's some stuff linked to his childhood there but then that was it okay let's um go into a bit more of a deep dive on TNG is the TNG podcast afterwards let's talk about Star Trek The Next Generation and it's relationship and how it portrays mental health there's probably as i said a few things we're going to talk about here we're going to start with reg barclay because he's one of the only few characters you see in star trek who generally has mental health struggles and how he adapts to his life in starfleet and then we're going to go a bit more into kind of trauma and loss as as we go through you know as framed through certain episodes and particularly we're going to do a lot of work around you know around troy's world and how she works as a counselor so let's start with with reg barclay then so um reg played by dwight schwartz and what i think that's really interesting is he's only in five episodes Mm. of tng he's such a an interesting character and such a kind of vibrant character you know the way schwartz portrays him that you think he's he's there a lot more than than he was i think he's actually more void than he's in the next generation yeah he he really stands out as a character obviously and yeah when we looked into it and he's only in five really okay yeah glad he got to continue on his storyline in in other versions of the show but uh, yeah 
yeah, they could have benefited from more reg. <laughs> Definitely, <laughs> we, we needed yeah. more reg. Yes, reg. And I think what's interesting, we'll talk about it now, we're going to talk about Horror Pursuits' first episode, is the way other characters react to that, you know, the characters who are the model humans, the model Starfleet members who... They are the best of the best, particularly on the Enterprise. The Enterprise is, you know, they joke about lower decks. Why not the Enterprise? They are the best of everything. And while he's very good at his actual job, which is a diagnostic engineer, I think is his title, how they react to him is really interesting. So so let's, let's talk about Hollow Pursuits then. Hollow Pursuits was a late season three episode, episode 21 of season three. IMDb describes it as a shy member of the Enterprise crew becomes addicted to the holodeck where relationships are easier than real life when his knowledge is needed in engineering. I think that's the first kind of interesting thing, is actually... The first half of that description is wrong. Yes. <laughs> I mean, they do, when they go to Voyager, and Voyager, I think, was a lot simpler, they do play up the holodeck addiction a little bit more. But I, it's not about holodeck addiction, is it? It's no. a misconception about Barclay. I think it's mm-hmm. more about his mental health struggles. You know, someone who doesn't conform to a high standard of human character you usually get in the cast of the shows. Yeah, I mean, the first issue I have with that description is the use of the word shy. That, that's not how you describe Barkley. Barkley, that's not shyness. This was social anxiety, self-esteem issues, self-worth issues. Obviously, IMDb is, is what it is and isn't going to go into anything deep like that. But I think shy is kind of almost an insultingly shallow term mm. for how to describe what and who Barkley is from that context. You, you don't know what a struggle this has been for me, Commander. Well, I'd like to help if I can. Being afraid all of the time of forgetting somebody's name, not, not knowing what to do with your hands. I mean, I, I am the guy who writes down things to remember to say when there's a party. And then when he finally gets there, he winds up alone in the corner trying to look comfortable examining a potted plant. Yes. So what were your first impressions of Barclay as is introduced in the episode? Well, they introduce him, don't they, straight in the holodeck. So he's not actually Barclay wandering around the ship as Barclay. <laughs> he's this person who, who's acting out his basically wish fulfilment, being his confident self that he wants to be in their holodeck programme. So you can see immediately the difference between what he wants to be, the self-confidence when he's doing the the ridiculous characters on the holodeck, and then the issues that that shows up, that obviously his self-worth is in the toilet, when he's told off by Riker, that he gets this really kind of exaggerated perhaps shame reaction where you know it's not just a bit of oh yeah okay I've, I've been told about it it's it, you know it's this deep guttural oh dear and almost a, a fear when he's told off by Riker as well so that's where the social anxiety and the idea of not being good enough and not measuring it up as he feels it internally immediately comes to light on the screen definitely it's, it's it... The way the characters react to him. I mean, Geordie makes the comment, he surprised Barclay made it through the Academy. Uh, and there's a constant talk of perfection on the Enterprise. There's no human frailty there, is there? No, not at all. Um, that's, that's part of the problem. And that's what makes Barclay so unique to watch, is that he's kind of one of the most human mm. characters that there is. I remember when we were talking to Armin Shimmerman 
and he was des- describing Quark and said that he said that actually Quark was the most human character yes. on DS9 and we that kind of made us sit back in our seats and think about that didn't it for a minute yeah. and kind of went yeah you know what I, I can see where that's coming from and absolutely this is another one Barclay is an example of a human being who is fallible and has reality to him that so many of the other characters don't. Yeah, and I think you know, they do talk about the mental health, they talk about his social anxiety in his previous uh, staff records before he joined Enterprise. I think in this episode he's only recently joined the crew at this mm. point. Yeah, he doesn't see himself as good enough no. because actually he's regularly told that he's not good enough. Yeah. So, it, you know, it, there's quite often in real life we see this idea of perfectionism and, and people who struggle with their self-esteem because they have this internalised view mm. of I must be better, I must be In order to be what we call inverted commas good enough, I must be perfect. And usually in real life that kind of internalised view that's been put on us by the, you know, people in our lives in our past and so on but has been exaggerated internally and here Paul Barclay it really isn't exaggerated the expectations of this perfectionism and the continuously being told you are not good enough is very much real in in his face all the time Mm. so it's really not surprising that as this genuine fallible person this is the place he ends up mentally yeah, he does actually make a comment that he's afraid all the time. Um, afraid all the time. Yeah. There's then this aspect of really being bullied about it. Yes, yeah. Where they've got a, a nasty nickname for him, where they're calling him Broccoli. Assuming, just alluding to his general ineptitude as mm. they see it. And again, you know, there's the vicious cycle, isn't it? How is he supposed to be anything more than socially anxious when that's the reception he gets from everyone around him. Definitely. I mean, there are there are other people there that do try and recognise that. I mean, you've got the likes of LaForge, who is his boss, Geordie, who say, oh, he's just shy. And then you've got those characters that recognise there's more to him. You, I mean, you do, we do have the character session with yeah, Troy. Uh, we do see a little bit of Troy doing that. But what, what, what are your thoughts on the actual on the counselling session that she gives? As a counsellor yourself. Um, <laughs> can you guess? Can you guess? Uh, yeah, no, it's it's not a good start to the session. <laughs> she, Troy dims the lights. Uh, as, I want to make you more comfortable. <laughs> without any explanation. Then sits too close. And it's kind of keeping... To keep the viewer in mind of the sort of seductive holodeck relationship that they've just seen where she's all dressed up. But flipping heck. Can you imagine going to any kind of therapist and then without explaining why they're doing anything, they dim the lights and then they sit within a foot of you and say, I want to make you more comfortable. That It's not the kind of therapy that That's <laughs> not the kind of therapy. <laughs> and then you look at Barclay's reaction as if he's reacting in an extreme way. He, he really wasn't to the, that inappropriate introduction to therapy. Was there anything good about the session? <laughs> <You> know, <that's laughs> um, 
the 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 breathing technique that she taught him was then basically right but it, the damage was done it's no wonder he ran out of the session as quickly as he did yeah. because of course he'd been freaked out whether that was done deliberately to show you know how are we going to make him so that he can't sit through his therapy session let's make the beginning of it really awkward mm-hmm. i don't know but if that was their aim they it succeeded definitely yeah <laughs> and then the other thing <laughs> that makes just again makes me want to throw something at the screen one of the key points of any kind of therapy is that you keep this stuff confidential you know you're not allowed to tell anybody what happens in a session unless you there's a, a risk to life by and large, certainly for an adult, you are not allowed to tell anybody. And what did she do? Oh, Jordy just says, oh, how'd it go then? Off she goes into talking about the therapy session. Well, he said this and he did that, and this is how he was feeling. No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we will point out that there are some episodes we're going to talk about in a minute where actually where Troy is actually much more effective as a counsellor, but I guess this, is, this isn't one of them. I think, the, and we talked about earlier about the idea they don't always use counsellors effectively, and I think this is one of the episodes probably where that's true. The, I think Guinan is, is the actually one that actually gets through to the crew to actually understand what's happening with Barclay. Yeah, when she's the only one to point out that you know when he's late and he's nervous that it's made worse by other people's reactions to him and you know not wanting to be around him and, and like I said earlier that vicious cycle it's not pointed out by the counsellor no it's pointed out by Guinan because I suppose she's the character of wisdom isn't she mm. and that there's nothing to say that that wisdom shouldn't also be inherent in somebody who's been trained to understand <laughs> what one person's <coughs> actions might do to how someone else feels. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, yeah, it's one of the, where, I mean, Garnon is that voice of wisdom, but Garnon is almost not quite the counsellor, she's a, she's a listener, isn't she? But, but she's there to listen to a character when sometimes they, all they want to do is to be listened to, I think, mm. and I think, and appreciated and understood. And I think that's where Guinan fits that role. So quite often, sometimes better than Troy, and I think it's unfortunate of having both those characters on there. Kind of in the same way they use Vic Fontaine rather than Esri Dax with Nog's recovery in DS9. It's like Vic served that role very much like a bartender like mm. Guinan, but it was kind of like there's a counsellor there and they're not being used effectively. It was a bit mm. frustrating. Yeah. I guess I'm um, sort of finishing up on this episode, there was the, the, the idea that I guess Troy does recognise that the holiday itself is therapeutic for Barclay. She, you know, when, yeah. when Riker and Jordy are like, what the hell is he doing? Why is he not working in the holodeck? And this is where the idea of the perception of holodeck addiction comes in. Yeah. Troy's the one to go, actually, you know, she st- when she stops the moment she realises that he's using an image of Troy in this kind of sexy, sexy way, but I think, because <laughs> they put up the comedy bit, but at least Troy does recognise at the start that there's some therapeutic benefit here of the holodeck to allow Barclay to kind of build that confidence in himself. Yeah, he's using it as a coping mechanism. The issue with it is it was a, a coping mechanism that started off as being kind of useful and actually maybe could have helped increase his confidence a little bit, but then there became kind of a little bit of overuse and a little bit of a attachment to it and it became what we call maladaptive. So that's something that 
used to work, you keep doing the same thing whilst the circumstances change and then that same thing doesn't work anymore. But it wasn't, uh, from my point of view, an addiction. It was just uh, a mechanism that had, had stopped working. But he wasn't addicted because he could stop using it. Mm. It wasn't, I, I need this, I can't function without it. Yeah, definitely. I think there there are other better examples of hard like addiction actually in the show, and maybe the Orville the Orville kind of did that in oh, a very yeah. in a very extreme way too. Yeah. But yeah, okay. Let's kind of move on then. We're not going to talk about all of Barkley's episodes because that that could be a podcast in itself. But but let's touch a little bit about his next episodes in season four then. So Barkley pops up in episode nineteen of season four, was it season later then? And then IMDb describes this one as when assigned to investigate an unknown probe, Lieutenant Barkley is electrocuted through a shuttlecraft computer where he received an unexplainable boost of confidence and a vast increase in his knowledge. So this is actually the next episode where you see Barclay, and I think the one of the things about this is that you do see that kind of development through him, and maybe some of that kind of relationship with Troy as a counsellor as well. Yeah, she recognises his progress, she's kind of recognising his improving in his confidence, saying, you know, you're not just acting, but you're interacting when he was doing the play rather than the holodeck. Being very specific though, with actually, you know, yes, you've improved, but this is how you've improved, and this is how I can see that you've improved. That you know, he can put himself on stage in front of others rather than retreating from others into something fictional and imaginary. Yeah. Um, so, well, let's talk about the actual episode itself. Though. So, the the idea of this episode is that Barclay gets hijacked by this alien life on for this computer, and what it does, it kind of inflates his intelligence and his confidence and he becomes I guess they, they make it mean he's overconfident and his intelligence is so extreme that he suddenly starts disobeying orders and running the ship himself in a way to kind of save the enterprise from the kind of situation they're in yeah it's a line that they walk here isn't it where they start off seeing this change and the increase in the positive attributes so his confidence growing his self-belief growing his ability in his job you know the engineering his acting on stage again they're all starting off as something positive but then they frame it as something that's gone wrong of course because this is something that's been done to him so inherently this isn't okay because this isn't an alien thing that has happened to you it's enhanced by something bad like you know the probe yeah that's that story of the positive things are framed in this negative way and it, it it's a difficult one that because the i suppose it talks about the level to which you want to see positive change mm. and then it again it i suppose it keeps going to become maladaptive doesn't it really the question i would have is okay if that was in real life at what level would you say stop pause on the increase in the confidence and the mm. increase in the abilities before it went into something that eventually became dangerous didn't it yeah it's an interesting one you can see why they use Barkley because if you had someone like Geordie for example he is he's very confident and he's very very good at his job so if he becomes overconfident you, you'll get that sense of okay there's too much but with Barclay, you get you go from underconfident to overconfident, and it's a bigger journey. You can see that kind of change, so you can understand why. But I guess the, in terms of Barclay's mental health, the more interesting stuff is at the beginning when you have that choice of recognizing that he's acting on stage is 
his way of improving and his confidence, but it's not to the extreme. It's just him being able to kind of adapt to the life of the enterprise, I guess, where everything is about mm. perfection and everything is about you know, doing your job very well. I guess, as opposed to the extreme stuff that happens when he gets possessed by this alien device. Yeah, where it goes into the... Well, what, what you would say would normally be some sort of narcissism and grandiosity, but actually it's not really that because it's valid, because mm-hmm. actually he does have the skills and the knowledge that he's talking about. But the whole sort of narrative, I suppose, that they, they go for here is the idea of having this, very much inverted commas again, inferiority complex you know, lack of self-belief, plus then the power that he's given from the alien, and that's what you combine together to, to make the danger. Mm. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think understanding why Barclay's using this way, but it's it tells an interesting story, not necessarily good for the growth of Barclay himself, maybe, though. No, you know? yeah, and uh, when the whole thing is finished and he comes back to being our standard Barkley, if you like, more or less. Troy does have that little bit of psychological insight based on something that's fairly well known in psychological circles, something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs, which is basically the idea that we all have to have our basic needs fulfilled before we can move on to the next one. So we all need food and shelter before we can move on to emotional security and that kind of thing. And at the top of that hierarchy is self-actualization. So she's kind of recognizing that he's lost that thing that he achieved there, which would be self-actualization gone through the roof, you know, and far, far more of it. So of course there's going to be that little bit of a sense of loss of the full potential that he could have reached and more, but that now he has to kind of find a new normal, you know, an understanding of who he is and where he fits, having had the memories and the experience of this is what I could be, this is what I have been. And they do that little bit of a, they do it lightly at the end, don't they, with the chess. That, yes. He's um, like, oh, I, I, I don't play chess. And then, so just that little bit of a, a link to, and maybe there's something left there. Yeah. But I like to think, and maybe this is, again, my just psychological perspective, but that, you know, you, you could lean into that with the idea of, and maybe it's left something in him psychologically. Maybe it's increased his self-worth. Maybe it's increased what he believes about himself as well in that same way yeah definitely it's um and you certainly you don't really see barkley regress over the rest of the show he you know he he has a is a he's still barkley he still struggles socially he he does have moments of certainly self-doubt and lack of confidence but he's functioning a lot better than he was in that very first episode I think this one is a nice yeah. way of kind of seeing a little bit of that growth too. A little bit of progress yeah. there, yeah, that it maintains. Okay, so let's move on then. The, the other the big factor we wanted to talk about on this podcast was kind of grief, loss and trauma. So we've got a couple more episodes, three more episodes that we're going to talk about. So the first one was actually probably for us one of the most interesting ones when we're talking about mental health and particularly around Troy's role as a counsellor was the bonding. So the bonding was a very early season three episode IMDb describes it as a startling surprise that rates occur at the Enterprise 
when a mission cost a life of a crew member who left her son behind. So this is one of a couple of episodes, isn't it, where we discuss and look at the impact of death through the eyes of a child. Yeah. Enterprise D being a family ship, you do see a bit more of that than you would see in, you know, maybe outside of maybe Jake's Cisco and DS9. This is this mm. is the kind of one place you see a bit more of the exploration. Yeah. So what, what were your thoughts around this episode and the portrayal of kind of grief and loss? Okay, so at the very beginning of this, kind of Riker is, is pointing out, you know, well, that's just life in Starfleet. You know, you have to be prepared for this thing to happen in, in almost quite a, a minimised way. Mm. Well, if, if you do this, then you've got to expect for this thing to happen, and which would be fine if it wasn't that, the, that this thing that he's talking about is the most painful experience that you can possibly imagine Absolutely. so it's this really kind of i, I think yeah. sometimes in star trek there's the idea you you mm. are you, you put emotions aside you be professional all the time and, I, and mm. maybe that's why but this is this is a boy jeremy who's as you find out his dad died on a mission a few years ago and his mum has just died on an away mission so this boy's left abandoned jeremy is left abandoned on the enterprise d by himself he's now an orphan and while Certainly, the crew sympathise, and you do see the crew, Picard and, and Worf and, and Data and Troy, all try to support Jeremy. It's it's almost like, well, oh yeah, these things happen. You know, our families in Starfleet. Well, parents do die, and it's like, yeah, Wesley, your your dad died. You kind of got over it, and it's, and it's not really that. And I think no. that's what Wesley says. You, Wesley says they're very careful to prepare us for anything that happens because obviously his dad died several years ago, but it's actually not easy yeah you can say oh yes there's a risk that your mum may die on a away mission but it doesn't prepare you for whether it actually happens no and from this point of view i kind of agree with the little almost rant that picard went off on as like mm. you know i've never agreed with the idea of children and families on a starship and this is kind of why and yeah. um, you sit there and you kind of go well yeah actually that does make a lot of sense because it's meant to be a place where, yes, there's danger all the time, but also there's this expectation, you know, very militarised expectation mm. that you've just got to keep going no matter what. Mm. And actually, I think it's the combination of there might be the expectation of going through a, a deep and painful loss, but also that you're then just going to have to get over it. Definitely. It, I mean, I know that this debate comes up, particularly next generation, of the idea is, you know, is Starfleet military, is Starfleet like the Navy? And the idea is, no, we're not, we're evolved beyond that. But you, this must be like a kid who, who basically family move around all the time, his dad's or his mother's in the military. And, you know, how to deal with that, that kind of uprooting of life. And then the sense of that, you know, mum or dad or both can be in a dangerous situation and die at any point. It must be, just even the idea of that is unsettling, let alone actually what happens to Jeremy in this episode. Mm, yeah, I mean, f taking it back into you know very much the the TNG universe, you've got data in this, haven't you? Which is mm. a really fascinating aspect of it, where he's asking about the idea of does the proximity to a person have an effect on the intensity of the loss? Where he just doesn't mm. understand. You know, so I I've observed people having many losses. Why is this? any different mm. and having to have that explained to him yeah definitely i think i mean it is a very i think the bond of these models underrated episodes because the kind of meditation exploration of the impact of death actually there is dealt with in many interesting ways not just kind of 
through Jeremy's grief himself. And I yeah. think that, that's a really interesting idea. You know, you talked about how much you love Data and Data as a character is trying to grow more human. It's one of those ones that would almost, have, of course it is, but the idea, if, you can, if you're close to someone, if your best friend dies, as opposed to someone you met five years ago, you're going to feel that loss of that best friend more because you know you're closer to them. And mm. it's obvious, but really kind of interesting idea. And this is why I like Data, because mm. he's the mechanism through which you realise actually this stuff that we take for granted in how we process and how mm. we understand things as people, yeah. they really take that out of the context of normality and question it and go, okay, well, if you didn't have that inherent understanding that you were taught and that you grew up with, how would you see this stuff? Mm. What questions would you have? And absolutely love watching that stuff. Yeah. Obviously, this episode is, um, there are two kind of key aspects. There is Worf, his anger at the kind of senseless death and wanting to do this kind of ritual bonding with Jeremy to kind of help him. Almost like, it almost kind of brings him into the family to, you know, to provide that kind of support that he's lost through the loss of his mother. And that's kind of a sort of subplot going through the episode. But I guess the key one here is almost you see Troy in action as a counsellor and how, mm. not only how she supports Jeremy, but also how she basically interacts with the crew herself. Yeah, I mean, you've got Troy explaining how children hold on to all their feelings inside and they will feel the need to be true to the memory of a lost parent that by Worf offering to bond that actually he might uh, Jeremy might feel that he's portraying the love of the parents if he if he accepts the affection too soon she's saying how the anger that you know that he holds is deep inside and that when he touches it it will strike out in many directions in, and she says including yours to wharf so you know you've just got to be careful and and her advice there is to just be with them to be patient and and a lot of that stuff holds true you mm. know I mean, it, I mean I said that you know here is an example where to my mind at least, Troy said something kind of useful there. Mm. Yeah, the idea it's not going to be, it's not going to be fixed overnight. And obviously, while they were never going to explore this beyond the episode, it's very much an episode of the week. It's reflecting that this is a, we don't have a cry and move on. You, mm. you and you don't react in the obvious ways. You don't get, just retreat or get or get sad and have cry and then you talk about it and then you have the funeral and then you, you go oh, I'm going to move on my life you know people kind of shrink into themselves they people react out to themselves and that idea they will snap they will well, you know different. anger anger and that's it everyone. and that's what I was really interested in I think the one scene that I kind of really liked was where the idea of being brave mm. and Troy saying he's being brave and Picard goes that's good he's being brave and it's no he has to get past brave and it's, there's more to it than just you yeah. know just trying to be strong and get through it. No, I really liked that scene as well. I, I liked the impact with which Troy basically shut the card down. You know, mm. he's, he comes at it again from that very Starfleet perspective. Excellent, good. He's being a brave boy, and rather than shrinking down and, and agreeing with the captain, she actually stands up for her own knowledge and her mm. own perspective because actually she knows she's the one with the knowledge here and effectively says, uh, hell no, it's not a good thing. That's the problem at this point, it being brave. And they, actually he has to be able to put that aside and get in touch with the difficult stuff that's underneath the brave. 
if he's going to get past it. Right now, there isn't much he can understand. He's holding all his feelings inside. Children often feel that they must be true to the memory of a lost parent. If you offer them affection too soon, they can feel guilty returning that affection, as if they're betraying the love of the parent. I only wish to honor his mother. I know. And I understand this means a great deal to you. But you must be prepared. He's very angry too. But his anger is deep inside him. When he touches it, it will strike out in many directions, including yours. Be with him. Talk to him, but don't rush this. When he's ready, we'll know. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a really good... You, you see Troy at work as a counsellor, but you see her doing her job, which mm. is, uh, yeah, seven seasons of the show, you didn't... You saw, you had the occasional snippet like the Barclay counselling session in that episode, but you'd never see enough of her actually going through the process. I mean, Picard says he recognises Troy stays with people for the entire grieving process mm. because this yeah. will happen be on a ship with nearly a thousand people in Enterprise D. People do die and families do get separated and people die. Kids die or our parents. It feels like with this episode and the other episode we're going to talk about as well coming up that this must happen quite regularly and Troy must have quite a difficult job dealing with this. It's almost mm. like a spotlight on our everyday life, in a way, as a counsellor on, on such a big ship? Um, I mean, mm. yes, difficult, possibly, well. but, like, you, for her, from her yeah, point yeah. of view. But at the same time, as you point out, her day job. Yeah. And, yeah, it's a difficult day job to have, absolutely, mm. but it's also what you're trained to do. It's like, this, this should also be the one thing that she knows how to take the steps of and, and you know be with the clients as we call it in reality rather than the whole you know empath thing of you know oh i sense oh oh what was it in the last one pain so much pain. <laughs> oh in the pilot episode yes <laughs> yes um yes jen was listening to our edit of the uh, pilot episode um, which will have gone out by now yes that's <laughs> a very different troy episode but yeah it, it, you see i think you see her supporting German you see her educating the crew mm. and, and that's really interesting because obviously it's educating the audience as well on that and mm. you know what side I can do well is kind of be there not only to tell entertaining stories like, oh, this one's quite as entertaining you've got the alien bit at the end but it's kind of it's a way that kind of explores this idea of death and educates the crew on how people deal with death and educates the audience at the same time mm. which is what I think which is why I think it's actually a really kind of a strong episode in that sense it is. Yeah. I think the one thing that is missing as I think about it now in, in probably this and hero worship we're going to talk about is the use of the idea of her being an empath. Mm. At no point do they combine, okay, this no. is her skill, this is her job with actually, and also she's half alien that should in theory be able to do this better than anybody in, in reality. You don't see her experiencing the grief and the loss and the mm. pain in the same way that you know she can sense something down on a planet for example mm. and perhaps that's because it would you know, cut too close to reality maybe, maybe. And, and, and move away from entertainment but 
it would have been really interesting to see at least once in TNG. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, it's either she's either an empath or she's a counselor. It's never really the yeah, two to me. And you did yourself the idea. You know, if you had the empathic ability that Troy had oh, in your counselling, it would be. If I was going to pick a superpower, then yeah, absolutely. If, you know, to do my job, yes, please, as long as you could turn it off. Yes. That's the other issue that they would never have been able to go into, and then they don't actually go into mm. with Troy, is, you know, you see it in, in a few other different sci-fi shows, don't you, mm. where something happens and you get telepathy or empathy or something, and, and generally that drives them, inverted commas, insane. But, uh, yeah, it, it would be nice to, to be able to have that ability as long as you could switch it on and off when you needed it. Definitely. <laughs> cool. Okay, let's move on to hero worship then, because I think that's the other one we want to talk about. Again, it's the same idea of a child on the Enterprise dealing with loss and trauma, but I think it's done in a slightly different way, with that interesting way to the bonded as well. So hero worship then is 11th episode of season 5. Again, IMDb description of this episode. Data rescues an orphan boy named Timothy from a damaged ship. As a way to oppress his own pain, Timothy begins to mimic Data's personality. So yeah, this, this was an interesting one. This is, I guess, whereas the bonding was more a kind of an exploration of Timothy trying to be strong, but not necessarily be able to kind of hold that pain and, and try to get through the process. This one is actually what happens I guess when you try to say shut off that emotion of the grief and loss and that's what Timothy the boy in this episode does by actually trying to make data data doesn't have emotions so Timothy becomes data in yes, that sense effectively IMDB describes the episode then as data rescues an orphaned boy named Timothy from a damaged ship as a way to oppress his own pain Timothy begins to mimic data's personality so what are your thoughts around this episode yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts around this, <laughs> not surprisingly. So, I mean, by and large, I think actually it's quite a nice representation of some, and I will emphasise some of the journey that Timothy has to go through in order to get to a point where he can start to grieve. So, and at no point in this are we actually seeing Timothy doing anything involving processing or actually grieving, which is why we kind of term this as grief and loss, because it's it's not actually much grief yet until you get right to the end. So you've got, to start with, you've got Troy recognising the scope of like the therapeutic task ahead of, of her and, and them as his timothy's village if you like you know she says timothy's world is gone and we have to help him build a new one which fairly poignant i think there's not masses of reaction to that particularly but i think it's a point fairly well made and then you've got data again asking geordie about geordie's own trauma as a way to try and understand this stuff because Geordie talks about the fire, doesn't he? Mm -hmm. So he talks about, obviously, uh, when he was, I think he said five, and he didn't, before he had his first visor, so he couldn't see, and he got trapped in a fire, and he was only there for five minutes or so, but he says, the longest five minutes of my life, mm -hmm. and how then he couldn't be away from his parents for, you know, a long time, for more than sort of five minutes, because he was so scared all the time. So it kind of actually showed 
the idea that Star Trek can recognise the changes that happen in children after some kind of trauma and, and the changes in the need for what we call the attachment so needing to be attached connected to those parent figures that make them feel safe and that was a way of trying to help teach data the perhaps the strength of the issues that are going on and how difficult and poignant the depth of this is for for human beings and then at the start of the kind of the process so recognizing that timothy's still in shock but that he trusts data's presence and that's uh that again that that's troy doing that and that's because of that obviously data saves timothy from the ships so there's probably a, a attachment probably the problems there yeah absolutely so there's that connection it's almost like an imprinting thing mm. really isn't it where you know, it's the first person I see who kept me safe from the the danger and the trauma and rescued me from the fear that he must have been experiencing because the, in the show he is trapped under beams, isn't he? Yeah. The, he, there's no explanation of how long. No, they find the ship that's been half destroyed. His parents are both dead somewhere on the ship. They're both crew members. Everyone is dead on the ship. Yeah. And, that's, and then Timothy himself is trapped under rubble, basically, and Data essentially lifts the rubble up and carries Timothy to safety. So Data is that kind of saviour figure Absolutely. for Timothy, saves him from the yeah. danger. Yeah, you know, even, at, even within the Star Trek universe where there's all these different beings with all these different abilities, you would certainly wouldn't go amiss by associating that kind of idea as a child seeing a superhero you know very much so yeah you know here is someone who rescued me by lifting the impossible off mm. me you know very kind of superman-esque almost so it's not surprising that there's this connection and that there's again this this kind of worship thing that starts happening the other thing that i find really interesting with this stuff is not just what's going on for timothy but what's going on for data as well and how things mm. almost not almost start to change, but you can certainly see inklings of it. So you get these almost empathic responses from data, which is something he's not really supposed to be capable of, is it? No. He's learning. He's, he, I mean, he's learning the behaviour. You know, he doesn't actually feel yeah. the behaviour. He's, he's learning it, but it, I think it, it's played very well by those little sort of turns of the head that he does sometimes where he goes, mm -hmm. oh, actually, should I be doing this? You know, is this the correct response here? So yeah, this is almost empathic response in the recognition of Timothy's need to have this model built. You know, he's, he's been set this little task to keep him occupied. He wants to build a, a accurate replica of, they're almost like Greek ruins, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, or some alien, alien version temple of, ruins, yeah. Um, yeah. And it all goes wrong and data's called away and then data stops and has that little head tilt and there's this recognition of actually this is what the boy needs the boy is mm -hmm. you know is the boy going to need me to build the thing for him and that is empathy and so even though it's within the android mechanisms it's the first of a couple that you see in it, this yeah it's interesting yeah you almost got as timothy i guess Timothy relates to Data as well, not only does it feel because Data doesn't have the emotions, mm. it's a way for Timothy to repress his own pain, you know, a way a little bit of that, Absolutely. All, well, while Data is almost becoming a bit more human by yeah. his reactions up to uh, Timothy. That's it, so you've got the this almost empathic response, 
and then you've got data explaining how androids have no emotions and it's that combination that allows Timothy to find a way to delay and repress his feelings of pain and and the trauma as well you know all Mm. of it all wrapped into one and I think I might be taking a psychological leap here but there's an argument for saying that he latches onto data and and goes down that path a because of the rescuing Mm -hmm. b because of the mechanism that he can use you know this android mechanism of, of oh there is no emotions but also because there was that additional bit of connection through that empathic reaction of, mm-hmm. oh, this is what he needs. So that, I think, yeah, that follows through. There's a few more bits of empathy there mm-hmm. as we talk about the episode. But, but yeah, and it's, it's, it's an interesting one to kind of go both ways. And it's almost, you know, p- people do suppress difficult emotions and your trauma and pain. And I think it's almost like sci-fi leap that you know there's an android who doesn't have emotions so therefore that's the place where Timothy can go to and I think that's really kind of interesting but it's that, it's that two-way relationship between them that I think is really at the heart of the episode and I think it's, it's an interesting one because it, it kind of goes all down to identity doesn't it and it's you know oh, how identity, yeah, yeah which is really yeah, interesting yeah. and identity and trauma because I had to be talking about identity and trauma we'll talk about Picard in a moment in family but in this episode yeah Timothy is almost as Troy says he's rebuilding his identity Mm. And so he, he kind of becomes an android in himself. He makes an android to kind of try and find his own way. And data is his identity has become human. So you've kind of got that way as well. It's, that, a, it's a really interesting bit. two-way street going throughout the episode. Absolutely, yeah. So Troy uses that that psychobabble word that I will confess I'd never heard before: enantiodomia, conversion into the opposite, <laughs> where he's. Tr- Timothy's trying to become something without emotions in order to cope. Basically, the whole thing is a coping mechanism. Mm. You know, it's the denial part of the the grieving process. But yeah, you're right. You know, Troy does say you know he's got to rebuild his identity as best he can, and the android persona is one step that he needs to do, and he just needs support and encouragement for the process. So therefore, Data is helping him. And it's interesting that that is taken on board. Picard immediately says, right, mm. Data, teach him to be the best android he can be. Doesn't... Well, exactly. You know, it's, again, it's about Troy educating the crew that this isn't so extreme. It's like Barkley and his heart, the final holodeck is a way to deal with his confidence levels. It's a way of, the, the, Jeremy and dealing with his trauma, the previous episode we talked about in this one, mm. it's recognised, you know, Troy saying here, this is what he needs. And it's mm. the crew supporting that. And I think that's one of the nice things about Next Generation and the idea of this family ship does, you know, like you say, it is a bit weird sometimes. You know, the idea of um, why would you take these families out into the depths of space, you know, when they face Romulans and Borg and everything else. But it's like, it, it does allow these kind of really interesting stories that look at what actually the dynamic of a family on a ship. And when there's loss, you know, it's how the crew kind of adapt to that and kind of almost rally around that with Troy as that kind of person to kind of lead the direction to support Timothy in, in this instance. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, it's 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 not great leading in the no, terms no, of that, but it's, but it's, what, it's what they've there, got, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, there are thoughts. I find the, the weirdest thing about the episode is why they would leave Timothy in a room a room so long, he's gone for all this, and they just, they just abandoned him in a room making a model. It's almost like I thought that was, yeah. that was weird. Obviously, at least the scene where Data comes in and helps him, but it's like, why would you just, you, this 
this kid's gone through this and you just abandon him in a room. Put him in a room and get on with our job. It feels a little bit like, yeah, no, absolutely. that doesn't yeah. work at all. <laughs> Let's do TV. Because, yes. yeah, this will help the plot line. Yeah, no, I, wanna, I suppose can, the, on the opposite of that, you do have the scene where you've got Data doing what Picard has told him, you know, following, mm-hmm. his, following orders and teaching Timothy to be the best android by fixing his hair but you've really got the closeness and the nurture element of that you know that's so parental and caring mm. you know the, the physical contact just the nurturing mm-hmm. element of you know gelling and combing his hair and making sure it's all right while they're having a conversation and you know although that wasn't obviously data's intention it strengthens the bond between the two of them you know, he, he didn't you know he, he wouldn't understand what a bond was particularly and yet he's able to strengthen it through his his actions here so again that and the other scene where data asked timothy if he's been having bad dreams yes again are examples of there being these elements of humanity coming out in data and those empathy reactions because that's what empathy is you know it's it's a reaction to what happens and so although you could say for data it's a response Mm. it's still an empathic reaction in some ways yeah it's interesting to sort of see that you know as tim becomes more android data becomes more human in that Mm. sense that he has those responses he has that bond with germany there's some lovely scenes in the episode like the the scene uh, and also the scene with Jeremy almost teaching Data a little bit of humanity, like the yeah. scene when they're having the ice, the kind of the, the drinks in ten forwards, like yeah, you know, a combination about taste, and it's like, and you get you get a sense that it's you know it's Timothy fighting against his human nature. He's going, oh, he's trying to be an android, mm. but he's also going, but it's nice to taste this. You know, he tries to make it, try to make his persona an android persona, but there's that human nature coming through, and it's lovely, and you see how well this is how Data reacts to it. Yeah, yeah, this is how you're starting to see the. The breaking down of, mm. of, of the denial part of you know of the security of those walls yeah. that he's got up when you when you get to that scene absolutely yeah but he's, he's had to process some of the the trauma part of it a little bit first or well not not really process I suppose because he's mm. not at that point but he's got to start connecting to it a little bit and he does that a little bit through the painting mm. and again it's a data thing data recognizes and says you know what's that a painting of and then data offers his experience mm. so and it's this i see that you must be feeling that here is an offer of what i would be inverted commas feeling in a, a similar situation and again it's an empathic reaction mm-hmm. it really is them coming together and meeting in the middle which i find you know really quite fascinating it's lovely and it, it is and it's, it's a lovely it's a lovely journey for data this idea of becoming human it's episodes like this that kind of really strengthen that mm. and troy educating the data as well this like this when jeremy is in the room with the kids and he actually laughs at the end Timothy. and t- Timothy but <laughs> Jeremy was a previous episode yeah. there, were, there were too many kids with trauma in the image. I knew one of us was going to do it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> talk about traumatic, traumatic kids and their parental Adam death Hugh. yes um, we'll try and keep this light and entertaining as possible <laughs> all the dead kids but anyway um, so yeah <laughs> yeah when where was I I was completely lost to the yeah. now sorry so when Timothy 
is in the room the children only last and Troy recognises that's the first step of letting go. She's she's teaching data at that, that moment, you know, that, that, yep. is, that is the first step to him becoming human again and him, him to accessing his pain and starting to heal it. It's a nice way of giving data that little bit of a next step in his evolution to becoming human that they wants. Yeah. Um, through the, the experience. Yeah. Of, of being human. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And then I think the way that the narrative works with this one is that they're suggesting the reason that he's had to go so deeply into this denial state is because he's also been doing what they haven't shown so far in the episode, but what an awful lot of children do, which is taking on the responsibility and therefore the blame for what was happening you know they go through this whole idea of him saying i touched a panel at exactly the same time that the ship started to shake Mm. so it was all my fault i killed everybody and it's at that point that you can really feel the depth of the pain and the shame and the guilt and the confusion and all those other incredibly difficult emotions that you know adults struggle to hold all at once let alone process and children certainly can't definitely they're you know not without help so that's why he went into such a deep state with this particularly because there was this nice handy mechanism in data for being able to do it so he, you know not only was he dealing with the trauma of being trapped the pain of losing his parents but he decided it all to himself and felt all the the guilt and the shame for it Mm. so the way they're processing it through the narrative is that it's not until he is helped to understand that at the very least the guilt and the shame elements of it aren't necessary he doesn't need to hold those Mm. because it wasn't his fault because they could safety protocols are in place and you can't touch a panel and accidentally Mm. explode the ship which you know as a small child you wouldn't necessarily know that. No. And that, that kind of comes back to this whole idea of having family on the ship, doesn't it? Yes, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> At what point do you sit down the, I don't know, six-year-olds, I would say, developmentally, and say, it's okay if you accidentally touch a button, nothing will happen. The ship won't explode. The ship won't explode, <laughs> yeah. exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah. Yeah. it's good. I, and, and I really kind of like the way that they walk through Timothy's process here and go, okay, now he can put that bit of it down. Now he can start to put down the persona and go towards the grieving process that he needs to do because now it's very much, again, inverted commas, just grieving. If you like, now it's just trauma processing, just grieving. It's not also, and it was my fault. Yeah, absolutely. It, it's very well done. It's about, it's about that first step, isn't it? Well, it's not. This episode doesn't cover the whole loss. It covers that first step of dealing with trauma yeah. or that loss. Yeah. Which of course probably brings us nicely onto our other episode that we're going to talk about, which is family. So this is kind of a well-known episode. This is the second episode of season four. So after defeating the Borg, the crew of the Enterprise experienced surely in various ways. Captain Picard returns to his family vineyard in France and has some extraordinary repercussions. That's the IMDB description there. So this episode obviously follows immediately after Best of Both Worlds, where Picard was assimilated, used to basically destroy half a Starfleet in, in the Battle of War 359. Some horrific experiences that happened to Picard in that episode. 
And I think family is another one like that, which is that first step of dealing with the trauma of what happened. And I guess really much about that sense of identity again. Yep. Timothy tries to find his new world and build his identity and for a part of for a while that's him becoming an android before he can start to deal with the, with the grief. Picard, he, he, he leaves the Enterprise and there's always a sense in the episode, you know, is he at, you know he's going to go back because it's second episode of season four, but the, from the character's point of view, there's a sense of, is he going to come back? And actually the episode does explore what happens if he doesn't become a Starfleet captain, or go back to being a Starfleet captain because of that loss he experiences. So I guess within this, there's probably two aspects to the two families. The first bit, we get, we get a little bit at the beginning, which with Troy and Picard, he's about to leave. I mean, I was quite a bit frustrated because you get various senses, the end of their counselling session has probably been a number of you know, intensive counselling sessions. I like that, but like, you were frustrated? Really? You? you, you? Uh, yes. <laughs> I was frustrated. Jen, well, Jen wanted to throw something at the screen. Again. Again. <laughs> yeah, again. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's a, lo- it's a lovely scene. Um, there's some good kind of, I guess, because of counselling humour that you quite liked. It was a little bit frustrating that you got it yeah. after. I know some why they didn't do it. And I think it's a very good episode of dealing with Picard and his sense of loss, but it's almost a shame you didn't get that, so a little bit more of that kind of... Yeah, absolutely. Sense you, of you get like you say, the end of it. So you get a little tiny snippet of Troy using, you know, classic basic counselling techniques by doing what we call throwing back the question. So Picard asks her something and she's, I don't know, what do you think? Which is a a very standard thing that we do Mm. so people can take ownership of of their own systems and beliefs. And and he gets very frustrated by, you know, Picard says... Uh, I hate when you do that, doesn't it? <laughs> yes. Um, so uh, I liked that moment where, although you've probably never seen it in TNG before, it mm. was a recognition of, oh, actual counselling. And she does actual counselling all the way through mm. because he's used to hearing that sort of thing. Yeah. So I kind of went, yes. And then you, you've got this moment, the, the utter ridiculousness of just before... Picard's leaving to go down to the planet, going, I'm better with arm movements and uh, everything to go with it. So they're really, again, leaning into the denial aspect of that. A lot of denial. But I did like Troy's reaction in that and going, yep, okay, all right, let's let's see where that's that's going then, knowing full well that, yeah, that's that's BS, basically. Very much so. On a a side note... (laughs) Would you have liked more episodes just with, you know, I, I don't know, more like, I don't know if people know the series in Treatment, where you've got a counsellor basically and sees a number of characters and it follows different weeks of their sessions. So like proper Troy on, on the ship doing counselling sessions. I mean, I imagine a lot of fans would have switched off, but yeah. I think you would have got the whole series of in Treatment with, with counsellor Troy, I think, yeah? yeah? I would, but I would be shouting at the screen all <laughs> yes. the whole time. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Why are you doing that? Why are you not doing this? But from yeah. my point of view, yeah, yeah, that'd be great fun. Maybe but... that's it. Marina says now, you know, you come back, you come back and done a bit of Picard. Maybe she'll be in, hopefully be in season two, and then she can go away and do just sessions with Troy, and that could be a whole series. And <laughs> oh, can we what... call it that? Sessions Se- with Troy. Sessions with Troy. Yes, yeah. so they go. Marina says, if you are listening to the podcast, yeah, <laughs> then I'm, there you go. That, that that's, go. that's the pit. I'm willing to be your, uh, you know, expert to support you there, as long as you do exactly what I say. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back to family then. <laughs> So, okay, yes, yeah, so obviously, guess what the episode then, there are some other subplots going on with Worf and his family, some other little moments with Wesley and his dad, some nice little moments there, you know, that, that Wesley and getting a message from his dad, mm. him saying goodbye, so there's a little bit of kind of 
kind of picking up some of the things maybe from the episode Bonding where, where he was talking about the loss of his own father. But I guess the core part of family is because we turn to his vineyard in France and then obviously we you see him in Picard, that's where he eventually settles, isn't it? Yeah. And going home to a brother that he hasn't seen in about 20 years and sister-in-law and nephew who he's never actually met. And it's kind of, what does he do after basically becoming Lucutus and, and kind of goes back to normality almost, or supposedly normality, and the safety of kind of Yeah, his, his, old, his old normality, yes. let's put it that way. Yeah. Because it's all about having to regress back mm. and start again, isn't it? It's a, dealing with the trauma, but also, again, refinding mm. their identity. But having to do that, because the trauma was so big and so destructive to his entire person on all levels, mm. physical, mental, psychological, that he's basically recognised unconsciously mm. that the only way to do this is to go back to the beginning. And that's what Troy was kind of giggling about almost at the beginning. Like, interesting choice in where you've decided to go on holiday. I wonder why that is. Yeah. Mm, let me think. Yeah. So, it, you know, it's an episode that blatantly explores the effects of trauma and leaving Picard completely unsure of what his path is. And he's, he's seriously considering he's taking this other role on Earth and leaving Starfleet that's open to him and then there's you know that as I say the loss the confusion of the identity and the lack of control that's come with that mm. as well you know when he was the cutest he had absolutely no control no agency yeah. of anything no and I think that kind of flaws here you, you see that it's interesting how it's through relation with his brother yeah. Robert because they all have English accents but they're in France yep. so it's, it's Jean-Luc Picard and Robert uh, apologies for the slight fake French accent there um, so um, yeah he talks about Robert his, his older brother you know Burdum's a child and you know there's a conflict there Picard always uh, had that lack of control agency almost as a child himself in his relationship mm. with his brother so it's almost interesting. Goes back to that, you know, that's the Borg in a way, like the ultimate bullies. They they can literally take out everything and they can they destroy everything, and they just, they have completely destroyed his life. And he goes back to the childhood where his brother was bullied too. And yeah. I think it's an interesting that conflict runs throughout the whole episode. Absolutely. So you kind of see again from this idea of starting from the beginning, and how that led forward into the Picard that mm-hmm. that we see. Yeah, you know, that he was this bullied child by his older brother, a fair few years older, I think, mm-hmm. by the way they, they cast it. And that he's then always had to kind of compensate for this with the perfectionism. That was his way of battling his, against his brother. You know, mm. his brother goes on about, well, it was always you. You know, you, you always won all the ribbons and all the contests and yeah. it always had to be about Jean-Luc. And, and that was Picard's weapon against being bullied. And that's what he took through into mm. the rest of his life, being the best yeah. all the time. Because you kind of ask yourself, okay, and this is what they're showing here. If he wasn't the best, if he wasn't the bravest and the smartest and, and the standout, because he made himself that, mm-hmm. would he be the next kind of step down? Would you know? Would he still be kind of smart and, and still kind of... Or actually, would he be yeah. the frightened little boy underneath? Possibly. I mean, you'd get a little bit of that later on season six with Tapestry, which explores his younger life and his different choices made as well. Okay. 
But yeah, in this episode, it's very much like he's. I guess what's really interesting to kind of think about this is that he basically made himself. Eventually, he made himself the perfect Starfleet captain because he was the best at everything. He's a captain of the flagship of the Federation. And I guess, how could he be the. I mean, come back to Lucutus, how if he's actually responsible for the deaths of thousands and thousands of Starfleet officers? Yeah, that's what mm. that's what happens when he mm. becomes Lucutus. He's not just been taken over, but he's actually made a tool with no agency to destroy so many people and completely lost all of that. So and maybe if he hadn't been that perfectionist, would he have got to the position where he would have got in the sights of war yeah. in the first place? You don't know. I mean, there's a lot of unsaid stuff in here, but I think it's still yeah. very well written. It bubbles up quite nicely because I think for a lot of the episode and the Picard storyline, it's just a kind of this bubbling conflict and resentment going through between the two brothers and the relationship with the nephew as well and the uh, very supportive... <laughs> nephew stroke in a child. I'm very kidding. much so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And of course... They could make yeah. that more blatant if they oh, tried. Oh, definitely, yeah. And, then you got, and you get the... Uh, and sister-in-law stroke mother. Yeah, um, absolutely, yeah. And of course you get that scene when they do eventually slug it out in the mud figuratively, mentally. It's all done the other. Absolutely. Yeah, so, yeah, the brother confronts him with his vulnerability in that sentence of did you come back here for me to look after you really showing him actually you know are you again this good little boy that you were when I knew you and that just that cracks him open it does basically that's you know that shows that what Jean-Luc has chosen to do here is He's been stripped down to his bare, most vulnerable place. He's chosen to go home because that's the safety and the security mm. that he knows nowhere else, even in this brother that's a bit of a bully, but he's also that protective figure as well. And it's only there, in that situation, in that place, at that time, with this person, that actually he feels emotionally safe enough to break down, to open up, and they do that by, you know, he has this, first of all, defensive, aggressive response to that question, did you need me to look after you again? Mm-hmm. And so Jean-Luc goes, rah, you know, yeah. how dare you, how dare you touch that raw nerve? And they end up punching each other, rolling around, literally covered in mud, and and then he breaks down, and then there's, mm. you know, he opens up, he cries, and that's what he needed in order to be able to verbalise and actually say the words of, you know, this is what happened, I, I, you know, I killed so many people, I should have been stronger, I should have not let them do it. Yeah. And it wasn't until you get to the depth of that level of emotional security that you can open up to that level of pain, and I think that was really, really well done. You don't know, Robert. You don't know. They took everything I was. They used me to kill and to destroy, and I couldn't stop them. I shouldn't have been able to stop them. I tried. I tried so hard. But I wasn't strong enough. I wasn't good enough. I should have been able to stop it was amazingly well done it's one of Stuart's kind of best scenes as Picard yeah 
Yeah, so I think it is interesting that I think that you know, the brother you know reflects Picard's fallibility as a human being. It allows him to be human again, as opposed to this mm. kind of perfect role model that he is uh, normally as kind of Captain Picard. And I think it's a really interesting way of. I guess kind of reclaiming his identity. Yeah, he has to reclaim his identity first as a fallible, normal human being, and then as the great Picard on top of that. But he's got to do the first yeah. one before the second one. Definitely, yeah. And of course, once he's done that, you know, he's gone back to being that child again. Mm. <laughs> that final scene when they're getting drawn together, completely covered in mud, and the sister-in-law comes in and kind of berates them. Absolutely, yeah. sister-in-law slash mother. Yes. Yep, she's mother. Yeah. <laughs> what would your What would your father say? What it, would it, your father say? Yeah. I love that. It, line. It, it's, it's, a, it's a great it's, scene. <laughs> yeah. She couldn't be more mother figure of the child. It is, yeah. <laughs> and of course, the last thing to note on when he goes down to the planet, you don't know if he's going to go back to Starfleet. He goes down in kind of this casual gear. He leaves in the Starfleet uniform because yeah. he you know he, he becomes Picard and I think it's such a it's a really interesting way I think it's, Star Trek hadn't really done this before at this point I know they kind of replicate the model later on I, I know Enterprise did it with the episode Home after the whole year long Zindi arc they do saying mm. not as successful what's saying a little no. bit similar yeah. but it's one of those episodes that actually takes up and goes you know there doesn't need to be a big alien threat on going in the background this is about you know, how you deal with trauma I think it's a very well executed exploration of that I think it's more, I think one of the uh, better episodes for that I think yeah. in TNG no absolutely yeah. 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 and helped by the very impressive acting ability obviously absolutely well. <laughs> yeah of all involved actually yeah I, I think it's one thing about this episode in general that I mean Pat Stewart is phenomenal on this episode the, the guy plays brother but even like the, like the kids as well Joshua Harris who plays Timothy and what's his name? Gabriel Damon, who plays Jeremy. The, the two kids who got us are really good, and it helps that you know that really helps as well. I mean, good scripts help, obviously. The good, the main cast, are, you know, these are episodes like season three onwards when the cast got a bit more comfortable playing the roles. But it's about those guest performances that really help kind of deliver these episodes as well. Definitely. So I think we've pretty much come to an end. I mean, obviously, the last thing on Picard, I guess, is that we do see this trauma. Again, it's that first step. Mm. It's, it does carry on. There's that famous, the line must be drawn here scene from first contact. We say, you know, he's got his identity back, but he's not let go, has he? No, not at all. I think he's managed to reassert himself for himself. But in order to really let go of, of something that's been done to you like that, what the ideal would be forgiveness but not forgiveness for the sake of anybody else but for the sake of yourself mm. so that you're not holding on to the anger and the pain and, and you know like the, the physical mm. issues for example that that will give you you know the, yeah. the gut-wrenching pain you might have in your stomach when you feel really angry at someone or something and uh, you know so we talk about forgiveness being for the person who's doing the forgiving rather than for the the perpetrator if you mm. like and yeah, he's a billion miles away from no. that. Yeah, you see, you see it when you get the episode with Hugh in Next Generation. He immediately thought, "Let's kill them all." You know, mm. you see it in this that line must be drawn here. He's so filled with anger and vengeance, he can't let go of that of that trauma. And I guess you see it interestingly explored a bit in Picard as well, don't you? The the trauma of being an XB. Absolutely. There's a, there's a wonderful scene with Picard and Seven Nine talking about basically what it was like to be in a Borg. But you see it with, with Hugh and all the Borg on the ship, you kind of get the sense of the trauma that comes from that yeah, as well. So and it's the persecution on top of that. Absolutely. It's a really that's really interesting exploration and that actually 
trauma doesn't necessarily go away. It can linger and it can be a continuous struggle to deal with that as well. It can be, yeah. absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, I think we've kind of come to the end there. I mean, one more last question there before we wrap up. How successful do you think Next Generation was in exploring mental health struggles and the impact of trauma? Somewhat. <laughs> <laughs> in a one-word answer. I think there were, as we've talked about, moments where they did some things really well mm. you know patrick stewart was patrick stewart and did a very very good patrick stewart yeah. um and there were some bits there that really did tap into to some of the reality of it but by and large star trek generally doesn't look at the idea of certainly mental illness mm at all, you know, in, in that way, because, like I said at the beginning, you know, it meant to have been eradicated, inverted commas. Mm. So, when when they attempt it, they do some bits well, there's a hell of a lot of room for improvement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And maybe, you know, Picard and Discovery, we've talked about both of them, they've done a little bit more into it, maybe, in, in the last year or so. So, maybe we've... Mental health awareness is more is more important these days than it was yeah. back in the nineties. So maybe yeah. maybe that's something that will kind of that's true. following Star Trek as uh, as the uh, franchise continues as well. Yeah, and uh, you know, and as we come back to this idea of mental health in in general, and and as you said there, you know, the difference certainly between in the nineties and how mm-hmm. it's recognised now. I would be remiss if if I didn't say how available you know, help is now, and the, there are lots of different forms of help out there, you know. One in four people experience mental health problems of some kind each year in the UK, and actually it's one in six people report experiencing a common mental health problem like anxiety or depression in any given week. So it's so normal. Under normal circumstances, when you can, when you know, we're out in the street and you can look around a bunch of people, for every four to six people you look at someone's going to be struggling so if one of those people is you that's struggling right now please know that it's not just you you are one of so many hundreds of thousands of people who are struggling in various different ways and obviously particularly at the moment yeah we are as we're recording it we're still on towards the hopefully latter half of but we're still in lockdown of the pandemic so yeah it's um yeah, yeah. and that's been and, uh, tough, even tougher than normal. Absolutely. So, you know, I just want to point out that there are lots of different ways to get help. There are the charities that lots of people know about, like Samaritans and Mind, but there are also lots of places that are opening up different ways of getting help. So there's text lines, there's instant messaging, there's you know lots of different things to look up. So I'd encourage you, if you need some support, go out there and find it because it is there. And on top of there being the what we call the statutory services and the NHS and going to your, your GP and all that, there are lots of private services out there that the financing isn't necessarily as much of an as issue for everybody. It will be obviously for for lots of people, but not for everybody, because there are things like therapists offer sliding scales and discounts and things like that. So please, if you struggle with initial searches, don't forget that there are other types out there. And we're going to put 
some links, aren't we? Yeah, so what we're going to do, we're going to, I'm going to put some links to uh, support available on the webpage of Holosuite Media for this particular podcast. Obviously, we're based in the UK, so I'll have some UK links. I'll try and get some US links if I can as well, because I know we've got a lot of US listeners. But um, there is help out there. So, as Jeb said, you're not alone. That If you are struggling, there is support there, and hopefully this might help as well. As well as, obviously, as the podcast itself being hopefully entertained. Listen, hopefully you've got something out of it as well. As well. Okay, so that's the end of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed the experience too, Jen. Yep, fantastic. Yeah, great to talk to you, not just as my wife to about Star Trek, <laughs> but actually sharing some of that knowledge and insight too. So it's been uh, great, thank you. No worries. You can follow us at Holosuite Media, and we'll be back next month with a new Beyond Firepoint podcast. In the meantime, Gemma, as a therapist, your business is New Seps Therapy. Yes. That's not, not actually a, a channel for business, but obviously Gemma, as a, as a counsellor, hypnotherapist and play therapist, your business is New Seps Therapy. And you can find us at Beyond Your Firepoint at Beyond Firepoint on Twitter, on Podchaser, Facebook and Instagram. Hope you enjoyed. Speak to you next time. Let's see what's out there. Engage. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program 4 Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, (laughs) which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, Mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like about, I don't know, I think it was like 62 abs. He just looked ripped and then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. (laughs) I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Fu, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4, The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. I don't know what the director, which I think was David Livingstone, I think, was thinking here, but they basically did a montage of them running around the ship and it's just like, ugh. It was very rocky. It was. I expected Eye of the Tiger to be playing. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Especially when Shell picks up the water from the table and is drinking it. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.